Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Conspiracy Pill, the Mostly Hinged Conspiracy Podcast. I'm your host, PJ Williams. With me, as always, is Abby Libby. Abby, how are you doing today? I'm great. I definitely didn't just finish my notes two seconds ago and realize my camera's weird. Anyway. <laughs> We're not yeah, doing anything good. super last minute this time. Uh, so what are we talking about today? We are talking about Dyatlov Pass, which is a uh, pass in uh, Russian Ural Mountains in uh, Siberia. Is uh, in in on mountain called Dead Mountain, Olatchal. <laughs> I'm not going to do this whole thing. Yeah, we can't um, do this whole thing. I, I, Katie Zed just called me out, and I feel like I need to apologize. I totally have a full-on Russian tracksuit, and I should have <laughs> wore it for this because that's where we're taking you guys tonight. We're taking you to Russia, and also today is the first day of winter, so it's the perfect day to talk about people dying miserably in the snow. Am I right? Yay! Yay! No, no. <laughs> for, for real, though, we're talking about Dyatlov Pass which I was definitely practicing this in a Russian accent on my drive home today, which is why I did Dyatlov Pass is, is on a mountain called Dead Mountain, which in the Mansai word, which is the indigenous tribe in that area, is, is a word that goes like Halatchal. And the translation is difficult for it. By the time you go from, from Mansai to Russian to English, it comes out Dead Mountain, but it really means like silent mountain, lack of game. They're trying to communicate. There's just not a lot. There's nothing like, worth going to the mountain to for. Yeah, dead is in like food. nothing lives there. They can't hunt right. there, things like that for sure. Um, so before we get into that, I had a few things I wanted to uh, get out of the way. First of all, thank you to all of our locals uh, subscribers. I like to shout you guys out at the beginning of each episode. So J Reagan eighty four C R Vincent and View three Ritza all subscribe to locals this week. So thank you guys so much. Really appreciate that. Uh, hopefully you guys checked out the Kanye Quest thirty thirty episode, which I think was one of the most fun unhinged that episodes was so fun. we've done. Yeah, I really liked that one. So that was a lot of fun. Um, what was I going to say? Uh, any other thing I want to get out of the way before we just jump right into Mother Russia? I can't do a oh, Russian no. accent. I'm not even going to try. Jumping and jumping and jumping. Just jumping and jumping and jumping. Yeah. So let's get into it. Also, well, oh, sorry. One last thing. We are going to be going to, as we always do, Rumble at the end of this. As long as Rumble's working this week, uh, we're going to be going over to Rumble to talk about some more interesting stuff. Do you want to hint that, or we want to wait till the end of the episode to tease what we're going to talk about over on Rumble tonight? I think we're going to talk a little bit about the Yeti over on Rumble. Yeah, so we're going to be talking Yeti, winter, all kinds of fun stuff. So let's get into the Dyatlov Pass incident. Okay. On January 27th of 1959, at the height of the Cold War, 10 hikers set out for what was supposed to be a two-week expedition. All but one of them were in their early 20s. They were students at Euro Polytechnic Institute. They were high-performing people. Uh, they were in like engineering and and uh, geology and you know, high level types of pursuits, but they were also very experienced hikers, very well trained hikers. And not only were they well trained, but they had very good reputations in hiking. They very much knew what they were doing up there. They were also made of sterner stuff than early twenty year olds are now. These kids they were children that's not, in saying, russia. that's not saying much abby <laughs> <laughs> but seriously they yeah. were children in russia while world war ii was hot like imagine right. growing up in that um all but one of them one of them was about 15 years older than the rest and he actually fought in world war ii 
So definitely made of Sterner stuff. Do, do you mind if I just give like two quick anecdotes when we're talking about Sterner stuff? Because yeah. like these are all like 21 to 23 year old uh, students. And one of them was bitten by a viper during one of their hikes and just kind of like walked it off. Um, and then another one, this one's even more impressive, uh, which I think this is uh, Dubonina. Or am I getting that right? Or is it the other? Yeah, Dubonina, yeah. who uh, was once accidentally shot in the leg by a hunter during a hike and then walked herself back to camp, apologizing the whole way for ruining everybody's trip. So yeah, sterner stuff for sure. And those are the women. Those are the those two are women. The women. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> the rest of them are men. <laughs> So that gives you a, a concept of, of what these people were like. The purpose of this expedition that they were going on in uh, starting January 27th of 1959, and it was going into, they were supposed to finish on February 12th of that year. Right. Um, their purpose was to earn a higher hiking certificate than they had. So they were, I think all but the World War II veteran were at a level two and they were working on a level three. And I think, I think they were working. all at level two is what I had and that he joined them because he also wanted to finish his level three. Okay. Yeah. He was, he was a late addition to the trip. Um, he had been supposedly supposed to go with a different group and then their timetable didn't work out for him. And he was friends with one of the people in this group. So he got added like literally the last day he could possibly have joined. He was just suddenly there with them on the train. And that's the world war two vet. <laughs> yes. That's the older guy, yeah. the world war two vet. Yep. And none of them really seemed to think anything of it. Like they all have, they all kept good records of this trip. Um, they have journal entries and stuff like that. So none of them were like, who's this old dude joining us? They were, they were chill with it. Um, so 10 hikers set off, but only nine die on the mountain. One of them uh, turns back midway because of some chronic pain, chronic health issues. <clears throat> and, is the lone survivor, but he is able to give a lot of detail from the first part of the trip. Yeah. The names in this are super confusing too, by the way, because that was one of the Yuri's and there are three Yuri's, which apparently in Russia is like John. It's like yeah. really, really common. Yeah. Let me go through the names real quick and see if we can try to keep them straight a little bit. So the pass is named after the leader of this trip. So the leader was Igor Dyatlov. He should be pretty easy to remember. And then there are two Yuris that die on the mountain. And I'm just going to call them the two Yuris. <laughs> <laughs> the two Yuris. Yeah. Don't even, you don't Yuri even get Kri your own uh, identity after <laughs> yeah. 60 years of conspiracy theories being made about you. It's it's Yuri Krivnanashenko and Yuri Durashenko. You know, let's go back with the two Yuris. That was yeah, a lot it's easier. The two Yuris. Yep. It's this, this one's so tough because on the one hand, you really want to honor the dead by like saying their names. And on the other hand, you can't even make any sense of the theory. If you try to use <laughs> the whole story, if you try to do full names, then there's a guy named Rustum Slobodum, a guy named Nikolai with a long, long last name that I'm not even going to try. Um, you have Alexander Kolotov. Alexander's the friend of the World War II veteran. Yeah, and he was and a war, war, physics student, right? And he, yeah. didn't he work in like, or he was going to work in nuclear physics? He was. He already had a job in nuclear okay. physics. It was. Like, it was one of those like, wow, you got a job like right out of college. Good for you. Yeah. No, I just um, I wanted to bring that up because I feel like that's important later on. Yeah, it will be. And then the the World War Two guy is Semyon Zolotaryov, and then the two women are Zineda and Lydia. L L yeah. Luda. 
Lugia Duvenina, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm trying to do first names for the most part. So we have Igor Dyatlov. So we'll just call him Dyatlov. Then the two Yuris, Rustam, Nikolai, Alexander, Semyon, the two women, Zaneda and Ludia, and then the one who survived, Yuri Yudin. Yeah. You've gotten lots of practice with your uh, Russian this week, haven't you? <laughs> so much. So if you guys missed it, um, Abby was over on Katie Zed's uh, show overruled this week, and they were talking about the Tetris murders. So I just want to shout that out. If you guys are not following the Hawkhound Media page on uh, YouTube, you get to see not only this show there, but you also get to see overruled. And then Katie Zed does another show called Crime Land, and there's other shows being added uh, next month. So I just want to shout that out because I thought it was kind of funny that you're doing this whole like Russian thing <laughs> over and overruled. And then we look at our notes like, what do we have planned for the future? What do we have planned for next week? Because we try, we try really hard to like schedule things out and think things through. And then crazy stuff happens, like the biggest Ponzi scheme in the world and Balenciaga yeah. and <laughs> Kanye. <laughs> so like, you know, <laughs> things get thrown around, but yeah, good stuff. Anyway, keep going. Yeah, on that stream, I accidentally outed myself as KGB agent. And yeah, we all I, thought I you thought, were a fed, but wrong fed. Or you, you, I mean, it's like double agent, right? It's like even better. It's I, I, I just I like all the agencies, <laughs> and they just like sampling me. them. Yeah, like Baskin Robbins <laughs> with a little spoon. All right. <laughs> <laughs> okay then. So now that we've kind of covered the names and the fact that I'm a KGB agent, apparently. Um, I just want to point out here that this story is really mysterious and there, the fact pattern is really weird and it is really hard to hold it all in your head at the same time. And every single person I've ever seen cover this gets fixated on one or two bits of information and really struggles to not let everything else go. So try to hold everything in your mind and not get too hung up on any one thing and try to just look at everything together. It's really hard. This is like, it's like the Agatha Christie novels of, of things that have actually happened because I can't like we have, and we're going to get into this in a minute, but like there's parts where I'm debating, like, is this uh, a red herring? Is this something to focus on? This theory works, but yet there's like this other piece of evidence that doesn't work and it's all conflicting. It, it makes you, it makes it very interesting. I mean, that's why people have been talking about this for 60 years, I guess. Yeah. Rob's asked, is this going to be another unhinged evening? How dare you? Um, this is going to be so hinged. You're not even going to know what hit you. It's going to be like fully hinged door hitting you in the face. Absolutely. There's definitely not going to be talk of Yeti and aliens in this one. Yeah, we would never, never bring, bring that into this. Aliens. Yeah. <laughs> um, I already said we were going to talk about Yeti, so I don't know. People could be, well, you know what? Just stick around for the episode and you'll find out, Rob. How, how dare you? How dare you? And Katie said, as long as there's three letters, Abby is on board. So true. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. So, yes. Let's try not to get hung up. This is a reminder for me. Like, let's not get hung up on any one detail. Okay. So, this is kind of what we know. They are down to nine. Yuri Yudin has left. It is February. They are on the mountain. They are in their tent. Their shoes and gear are off. The tent is well-ordered. Um, the gear around the tent is well-ordered. They're all down for the night. They have food out as if they're about to make dinner, but their wood st uh, little cook stove is still closed up. And then something happens. 
we're not really sure what happens, but something happens that scares them, presumably scares them so badly that they, instead of exiting the tent from the front, they cut their way out of the tent from the side. Um, And so the tent is found this way. I think we have some photos of a little bit covered with snow, a little bit smushed with snow because it was like three weeks later when they found it. And then a great big cut in the side where they. Yeah. So I I, want to point out too, like this, the snow on it is yeah, Like you said, three weeks in one of the harshest winter uh, places in the world. So the fact that it's only that much snow cuts against um, a lot of the like full on avalanche theories, I think anyway. So yeah, it's not like they were buried is my point and then had to like climb out of like a huge bunch of snow from there. There's a reason why the people who came across it did not think it was an avalanche. Like nobody in the initial investigation thought it was an avalanche. Well, also, sorry, if we're going to talk about the avalanche really quickly, like this is an area that's never had an avalanche before or since either. Uh, it just doesn't. It's not it, it's not one that would. Um, there's like a lot of reasons like uh, rocky outcroppings and things like that that kind of prove this is just not an area for avalanches. So, right. Yeah, we'll get we'll we'll get back sure. to that. But we know that something happened. They cut the the side of the tent from the inside. They leave all their shoes and their gear behind and they go out into what was about negative 13 degrees on the mountain that night. Um, and they just go out into the snow. Th- these are like seasoned hikers. They know what they're doing. Something makes them leave their tent without gear in negative 13 degrees. Yeah. And when you say without gear, you're like, you mean like really without gear. Like some of these people were barefoot. Some of them were in their underwear, essentially. Yep. I guess long johns, but that's still underwear. So yeah. 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 They, I mean, all of their boots were, nobody was wearing proper boots. Nobody was wearing proper anything to be right. out in the cold. They had, they had taken off their stuff to go to bed for the night. Yeah. Um, it was, it was three weeks later when they, they were, fully uncovered the tent was found first and then various bodies were found at various points um, because it took a long time for even once people knew generally where they were for them for them to be found Yeah, and at a minimum the bodies are a mile away from the tent and they're spread out into three groups do we have a picture of kind of whereabouts the bodies were found yeah so here's a picture of and it's kind of a crude drawing. Like it looks like a kid made it, but I think this is the most uh, easy one to understand of the ones that I found. So you can see the tent up here uh, and it's about 2000 meters downhill towards the tree line that you find the first two bodies. Uh, And then another, sorry, go ahead. That's a little bit over a mile. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's another 75 meters into the tree line or past the tree line where you find four more bodies and then off in another direction uh, is three more bodies that are spaced out about 300, 480 and 630 meters between themselves. Like, like they're, they're not a group that's just separated from everybody else. Like they went off and then they all are in different pretty. I mean, that's pretty wide area in that yeah. snowy, windy, whatever. Like yeah. It's probably out of line of sight. Yeah. So let's go a little bit into each of these groups. I've divided this into three groups of people, but you're right. The the three that are closer to the tent in the other direction are spread out. So they're not really a group, but they are grouped. So 
it is theorized that the, the ones who died first based on some other people are wearing pieces of their clothing in other groups. So it, it, it's theorized that the two by the trees died first and then their clothing was cut off by people who went on and died later, basically. <clears throat> so it's the two Yuris by the trees. There is a uh, remnant of a crude fire that probably wasn't, I mean, obviously wasn't super successful. Um, there's third degree burns on both of the Yuris. And then in the trees surrounding, there's some remnant of like skin. <clears throat> yeah. So there's pieces of flesh in the tree about five meters high, which would happen if you climbed a tree barehanded and when it's negative 13 degrees, like right. pieces of your flesh are literally ripping off and sticking to the tree branches. So it, it, if you just say there's pieces of flesh in a tree, it sounds like Yeti was like tearing limbs and like chucking them. Yeah. But that's not really what happened. Yeah. Or so it, we think. Or so we think. And, and one of the trees nearby had branches torn off. So it looked like they were trying to get wood for the fire and then maybe trying to climb up and see if they could see what was going on. Or it's unclear why they were climbing the tree, but we have the two Yuris by the tree. And then 75 meters away, you have these four in the ravine. Three of those four had massive internal injuries. Um, the mortician said it was like they had been hit by a car. It was consistent with that type of force. They are falling down into this little ravine. So the people who are in, who are there are Liuda, one of the girls, the one who had been shot on a previous trip, Alexander, Semyon, the, the World War II veteran, and Nikolai. And Nikolai is the only one who does not appear to have any of those internal injuries. It looks like he maybe didn't even fall when they fell, but stayed with them anyway. Yeah, I think the official cause of death for him and five, the five others that weren't in the ravine was hypothermia. Right. Which, I mean, they're <clears throat> doing... They're figuring that three weeks later. So, I mean, sometimes it's like it's hard to tell sure. if it was hypothermia or some of these other injuries or, or both. But on here is where we run into a couple facts of the fact pattern that people get hung up on. Two of these bodies have high levels of radiation on them, higher than normal levels of radiation, um, enough to raise alarm bells. And people said, because it had been three weeks, it was likely that the levels were higher at the time of the incident than what was recorded. Uh, so that's one that people get hung up on. Another that people get hung up on is that the girl is missing her tongue. It just says missing tongue. Yeah, she was missing, I think, her tongue and her lips and her... Was she also missing her eyeballs? I know one of them was missing their eyeballs. A lot of them are missing <clears throat> soft tissue. Right, um, which would which is c consistent with this type of thing. Can we talk about that one real quick? Because yeah. these people, you said they were found in a ravine, so they basically were down by water. So there's a there's at least a very good chance that uh, being face down in 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 water uh, for and uh, actually they were longer. Did we mention that they were not found first? Yeah, they, they were, were found, found another last. 26 days after everybody else was found. So they had been buried underneath like 15 feet of snow possibly face down in water for a month and a half. Uh, mm -hmm. And Dubonina was missing her tongue, her eyes, part of, and part of her lips, as well as uh, facial tissue and a fragment of skull bone. Uh, and it was Zolot 
man, I hate these names. Zolotaryov, whose eyeballs were missing, and then uh, Alexander, whose it, says, it just says his eyebrows were missing, which I don't find that impressive. Yeah. But yeah, so like there was definitely some it, people debate whether it's erosion or if like something like literally ate their faces off. Right. I think that for a lot of people, the soft tissue loss on a lot of these bodies is, is easy to explain, but the tongue is harder because she's the only one that doesn't have a tongue. And so um, there's a lot of people who are really close to the case. And um, we'll talk about them later who get hung up on the tongue thing. Yeah, I think I think uh, Jess has it figured out over here. She says the radioactive cocaine Yeti is actually an alien and cocaine Yeti ate their faces. I, I yep. you know. I didn't want you to give it away in the chat, you know, where we're going with this, but good job, Jess. Pieced all that together from what this we've is, done in the first 20 minutes of this episode. Yeah. All right. Well, we're all done with the stream. All right. Um, see you. Goodbye, everybody. We solved it. Was it was alien cocaine yeti. You guys got it. Yeah. Um, we probably should have done a, like, trigger warning. This is going to be gross, but PJ just launched right into the missing eyeballs, so... <laughs> I apologize for my co-host. It's about nine dead people in the mountains. I'm pr- <laughs> that's, it's expected. Yeah. Okay. So that is the four in the ravine. And arguably, if you've got rocks at the bottom of the ravine, that fall could have been hard enough to cause the injuries. But I think that there's some question mark whether the injuries were caused a different way other than the fall into the ravine. Right. Well, it's easier to just say it was from the fall. Okay. So <laughs> I think it makes the most sense. The The other thing that's talked about with this ravine, I don't know if you want to get into this, but it's like the, the theory that they had tunneled into like basically created their own igloo, like down into the snow and that it maybe had collapsed on them. Right. Yeah. It's the two theories are that they blindly fell into a, a ravine in the dark or they had built a snowy igloo type thing and the warmth of their bodies had dropped them down. They didn't realize that there was running water beneath and it dropped them down into the ravine with the water. Or yeah, I should say that now that it collapsed, but that the bottom fell out from underneath. Right. Yeah, yeah. Right. Okay. So either way, they're in a ravine. Yep. The, the one, the three that are more difficult because you could kind of have a narrative for, for these first five where, you know, they they go along this direction and then two they try to start a fire two die there and then they go on and they try to survive over here and then they die over here the three off in the other direction who are more separate are a little bit more mysterious to me i also just want to point out the fact like we are getting into like where these people were found how they might have died but the real theory to me and like we'll get into it obviously but like all of this is interesting, but the part that I am most interested in that I want to get to is like, why the hell did a bunch of people leave their tent barefoot in negative 13 degree? Like sometimes right. you'll listen to people that get into this and they just talk about um, how they might have died from falling into the ravine or how the burns might have come from them getting their hands too close to the fire. There's like all that stuff. And they just leave out the fact like, yeah, cool, bro. Why but like, why tent? did nine people run into the snow barefoot from a perfectly good tent? Right. Before the before they before, cut it. yeah like that the rest is. of the stuff doesn't even matter if that doesn't matter but we'll get it we'll get back into that for sure yeah yes and I am definitely getting there because we are not going sure. to miss yeah. that so the three that are in the snow over in the other direction are Dyatlov 
the leader of the trip, who was known to be very authoritarian, like very much a leader. So it's weird to me that he's like out by himself and not part of one of the groups. <clears throat> right. I mean, he had a, an incredible reputation as a great hiking leader. Everybody wanted to be on his trips because it was such a good experience. So he's there and his mother said that his hair was white uh, in the casket. Um, just, but no other known injuries here just died of hypothermia but possibly scared to death like scared so much that his hair turned white yeah yeah (laughs) there is something very erratic about their behavior because if two guys are trying to make a fire possibly four of them are trying to get into an igloo and then you've got three of them that couldn't even stay in a group as they walked off in some other direction like there's something really disorganized about a bunch of people who have been pretty calm under pressure people who have been shot and bitten by vipers and like dealt with like this type of stuff it's not like it's their first rodeo it's like they're you know going for the highest level level three which at the time was the highest hiking level certificate like they were experts essentially yeah uh katie said it was the cocaine powder from the yeti in his hair you got it that's what it is that's why you guys are getting ahead of us man our chat is better at this than we are the other two in the snow here are zaneda who uh, was the second woman on the group. And of note here, she was the one that at least three of the guys seem to have had a crush on. But it was the Cold War, and it was frowned upon in Russia to like have feelings for one woman. It was, it was just one of those things. It was a messy time. So no one was actually with her, and they weren't fighting over her. It was just, it was what it was. This is according to Yuri Yudin, the survivor. Gotcha. And then the third, oh, I'm sorry, Zaneda, the girl, she, her injuries are a broken nose and she's got a giant bruise on her side, but death from hypothermia. And then Rustam, the third one in this group, that's not really a group because they're spread out. Also death from hypothermia, but he has a skull fracture for no apparent reason. He's nowhere near anything. This is my favorite part about this. They're like, this guy has a skull fracture, but it's probably nothing, nothing important. It's probably not important. It's probably not important. Yeah. But that's the thing. Like you get so stuck on this fact or this fact that you almost every theory forces you to ignore his skull fracture or at least just say, oh, he probably tripped. Every theory forces you to either ignore something or decide what the red herring is. Because I believe that there's at least two big red herrings in this that we'll get into. Yeah. There is no evidence that these this group of people hurt each other. Right. Like. Well, also, and, like the yeah. autopsy guy, he said, like, these the people who are died from injuries, it could not have even been a person. Uh, it was basically the force was too much, the soft tissue damage. Like, basically, the way it was described is the force was so so strong and so sudden that it wasn't like bones broken were like you know sticking mm-hmm. out of the skin it's like it was like an impact that just rocked their insides right. and like basically destroyed them internally right yeah so like i alluded to before everyone seems to be missing clothing and it's difficult to tell who who was wearing <laughs> what when they left and then how things got switched to other people but at the very least some of the four have clothing from some of the other five. 
So either they had died and taken it off of them or they were trading clothes. Here's another point I want to make really quick about the clothing is like one of the theories that people bring up uh, with why they might have been out there naked, which actually makes zero sense at all, I think. But it has to be talked about because it's in every article is this thing called paradoxical undressing, which is a thing where it's like, hey, if you're hypothermic, you might feel hot. And mm-hmm. you might want to take, take clothes off. off. That would be someone I would think would be inexperienced and have no idea and wouldn't have people around them telling them like, no, you're actually not hot. You're freezing to death. Right. But also it makes no sense for that reason, because if they're paradoxically undressing, I, it, like why would all the clothes be left in the tent before they were right. hypothermic? And on top of that, why are they taking clothes off of other people and putting it on themselves? Right. So the whole, I feel like that's just one of those things. That I just want to get it out of the way. Cause I think it's silly and there's no reason to spend time on it. Right. Yeah. With hypothermia, I think the only thing that we can really explain by hypothermia potentially are the third degree burns on the Uries because they're right by the fire and they have third degree burns on them. And it looks like they died first because other people are wearing their clothes later. Right. So, you know, sometimes you get too close to the fire when you're trying to warm up because you just can't tell what's going on. And it's that survival instinct that even training might not do anything for. So after the investigation, after all these bodies are brought back, after everything's examined, the investigation concludes, which was basically treated like a criminal investigation by the Russian government. They were like, it was an overwhelming force, which the hikers were not able to overcome. That's that's perfectly vague. Like overwhelming force of nature or overwhelming force of cocaine. Yeti, what are we talking about? Yeah, they, they don't say. Yeah. And then they say, in the absence of external injuries, this is all we are able to conclude. So they have a lot of injuries, but they're not external injuries. And so because they're not external injuries, the Russian government is like, look, we don't have any reason to believe there was like a criminal thing here. This isn't like an ax murderer came through the camp and everyone has an ax wound. Like it's just not there. Right. So we have to just conclude it was an overwhelming force and call it good. So what else happens with the investigation or was it was sorry? Um, yes. So the investigation found I mentioned the radiation, right? Yeah. The radiation, yep. the two of them, which was uh, it was the it was one of the Yuri's right or explain it again with the it was radiation. it was two of the four people in the ravine, right? I don't believe it ever said which two they were just like on some of this clothing. Was okay. higher radiation. The investigation was like, look, we're closing the mountain. They closed it for three years. It wasn't easy to, inf- you can't really enforce it, but basically they just weren't issuing permits for hiking on the mountain for three years. And then everyone at the various people at the university and city level were, were either fired or reprimanded for any type of involvement in this situation. Like the Russian government made sure to punish somebody, even if it didn't really make sense. That sounds very Russian. <laughs> that sounds very, uh, very Soviet Union of them. Yeah. And for a long time, parts of the case file were available to the public. Uh, parts were like stolen out of the archives and passed around to people and sensationalized. Bits were sensationalized. And that's that's where some of the evidence we take with a grain of salt, just because it's a little bit unclear how much is like set in stone evidence and how much has been kind of embellished over the years but 
it seems like at least until recently, the Russian government kept back a significant portion of the case files. And I think they're still keeping back some of it, but we have more now than we ever have before. Yeah. Cause originally they kept out a lot of the internal uh, organs reports and things like that. Mm-hmm. And if, if I'm correct, there was another weird thing that was kept out originally include, you know, involving the internal organs and stuff like that. And you were talking about uh loot. I get her name messed up. Ludia, right? Yeah. You, l- l- <laughs> Yuda. Yeah. It's L Y. Yeah. Y- Yuda. Okay. But she had like, was it, was it found later that she had like blood in her stomach possibly like she might've. Yeah. So there's a debate among conspiracy theorists. And part of this goes back to the tongue thing, which we'll get into is there are people who think that she had her tongue cut out by whoever perpetrated this um, while she was still alive and that the, the blood in her stomach is proof. And then other people who look at the same imaging and they say, uh, the same photographs and they're like, no, this is a um, hemorrhage from, you know, it's an internal injury. It's not something she swallowed. Right. Yeah. And then with uh, one of the Yuri's, he had like blood in his mouth from, from his hand. Didn't he like bite off a chunk of his own hand? Yeah. Yeah. He, he, he like burned, which this is the weirdest part of, to me, to be honest. Well, maybe not the weirdest, but it's up there. What I'm kind of imagining is he's the one who climbed up the tree and was already missing like skin from, and then he was just like sucking on you know his how wound. you suck on a yeah. injury. So I don't think he actually, well, cause I read it wasn't just blood. Like there was actually like flesh in his mouth. So maybe he was like sucking on his wound. He can't feel anything cause his hands are right. literally so frozen that he's like yeah. getting pieces of his own hand. And they never say yeah. like who's like DNA testing, like whose flesh that was in the tree so yeah. it, it's hard to tell, but it's weird when I re- read that and I was like, this guy has like pieces of his hand missing and they find it like in his mouth and in his throat and stuff. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a lot. It just I'm keeps trying getting to like avoid some of these. Yeah, sorry. PJ's like, let's talk about all the gross stuff. It's interesting. It's interesting. I don't know. No, I know. That's why you're here. Bash's heartless says it right. Says hit the like button. So yeah, definitely do that, guys. Definitely. So Here's a list I've compiled of, of the facts of the case that are really difficult that we tend to get stuck on because we're, we're through the investigation. The investigation is satisfied with overwhelming force that they couldn't avoid or whatever. Um, footprints. A lot of the theories really rely on footprint evidence. And it, it was like three weeks later that they come. So like, I don't understand I I just don't understand relying on footprint evidence. It is a little weird. Yeah. The footprint evidence. I don't know how reliable it is. I mean, maybe like it's just so cold and so frozen and it, that like they just like stayed, you know, encased in, in ice from them mm-hmm. walking. I feel like it's not. They say that there's no evidence of anybody else there, and I'm not sure that that's entirely provable just on footprint evidence alone. Well, so this maybe is getting a little bit ahead, but the avalanche you have to, the avalanche crowd is saying, look, it has to be an avalanche because it couldn't have been anything else. And even though an avalanche was unlikely, it still has to be an avalanche. But if the time period was long enough to erase any evidence of an avalanche, surely it was also long enough to erase all evidence of footprints so then your whole argument breaks down. The, I'm, I'm sorry. The avalanche argument is like the very least convincing of all of these to me. So yeah, 
Um, I just, I, yeah, you're right. It, it makes no sense. Like the tents covered in like a few inches of snow. The footprints are still everywhere. The people like they weren't buried at the tent. Like that, you know, they, they, yeah. I don't know. It's, it's, it's not that convincing to me. Yeah. So at least as we conceive of avalanches. Right. Um, so the footprints are a sticky point. The tongue is a sticky point for people. And let me talk through this one because it seems like just about everybody who is very close to the situation, Yuri Yudin, the one survivor, a couple of their friends from school who really headed up the recovery research are convinced that this was some sort of government cover-up that, that like the KGB came to their tent with guns and forced them to co- come out of the tent. And then they like cut off or cut out her tongue because she was talking too much and they're like absolutely convinced it was this politically driven thing. I don't buy that either, to be honest. I yeah, don't. I don't, I don't, I don't like it as a theory, but it is fascinating to me that the people who are closest to the case, that's what they believe. That is interesting. They don't believe Avalanche. They don't believe Yeti. They believe government conspiracy. I mean, like, there's a part of it where it's like they all are living under the most one of the most brutal regimes in history. So mm-hmm. like that's not surprising. What what to me though, like the reason this doesn't make sense to me is the KGB didn't need to like hide what they were doing. They were literally right. going door to door. Like if people actually understand the Lubyanka building and what they did in the basement there and what was happening in Russia in 1959 where they were literally like people were going to bed at night, not able to sleep because they knew the KGB was going to come into their building. They're going to knock on somebody's door and it might be your door and it might be your neighbors, but that person was going to disappear forever. And it wasn't like they were hiding it. They would just take them to a basement, execute them six at a time that had a lift in it. They would lift them up. This is no joke and put them in a truck and then drive around purposefully with the tarp flapping in the wind. So people would see the trucks were full of dead bodies. That's what's happening in Stalinist Russia at this time. So like the fact that they would go out of their way and hike into the wilderness and like set up this elaborate crime scene to hide (laughs) nine students that they wanted to kill for some reason. It doesn't like that. This doesn't make any sense to me at all. Yeah. They're thinking like that to me, like that's thinking of like the way our government works. Like that's thinking of like, you know, Clinton-esque type stuff, not like 1950s KGB. Yeah. Rob in the chat, he was said there was a survivor. Yes. There was a guy who quit halfway. So I think he'd been hiking with them for a week, week and a half. Yeah. There was a town they stopped at before they got to this leg and he stayed behind there. Yeah. So Yuri Yudin. um, So, but the people who are convinced of the government conspiracy thing get stuck on the, on the tongue thing, even though I think she, you know, her tongue just, she's her face is down in water. You got microfauna in the water dissolve, you know, it's any type of soft tissue loss in this type of situation is not after a month and a half. It's not that surprising to me either. Rob be nice. He <laughs> Rob's like, he was a quitter, not a survivor. Okay. <laughs> this guy had serious chronic pain and chronic health issues. or, or he was a quitter. He was KGB. Or he was a quitter. <laughs> <laughs> or we'll get back to that one. So sure. uh, another piece of evidence that people get really hung up on is the radiation. Is trying to explain the radiation. I don't think this is actually that difficult because this is height of the Cold War, Soviet Russia. They're doing weapons tests. Like you've got free floating radiation all over the place. There was some evidence that uh, some account that the two guys who it was probably their clothing 
had been hiking in a radiated area at an earlier date and it just stayed in their clothing, something like that. Right. Yeah. One of them uh, was even involved in the cleanup of a nuclear accident in Russia, right. like some months yeah. before that. So it's possible he just had radiation on his clothing. From It's not like they uh, were as careful in those times, especially in Soviet Russia to be like, Hey, make sure you wear your lead lined thing. And we're going to do all right. that. No, it was just like, Hey, you come here and pick up this bar of right. radiation. Yeah. So I don't think the radiation Clean up with your bare hands and go about your day. We both think the tongue and the radiation are red herrings, but a lot of people get really hung up on that. I do. I um, think they're red herrings for sure. The lack of external injuries is, is difficult. Even with a fall into the ravine, it's weird that there's really not external injuries. Yeah. Uh, Katie said had a comment. I don't know if we want to get to that now or if you have that coming up because I do want to mention the, what she was just asking. We're about to get okay. to that. Let me get through a couple more things because yep. we're still in the evidence and we're going to get to the theories. Um, another difficult piece of evidence is the tanning of the bodies, the mummification type process. Did you want to say anything about that? Yeah. So people bring this up a lot and this is, this is kind of interesting for some of the theories we're going to talk about. So I guess we'll probably just shoot it down right now, but, uh, because <laughs> why not? Um, people talk about how their family members and other people saw their bodies and they said, wow, they have a deep brown tan. They were not tan uh, before. Mm -hmm. And I first read this and went, isn't that what happens to bodies when they've been kind of mummified over a month or so? Right. And it turns out that is what happens to bodies. It's it's right. brought up a lot. And I think it makes the case sound more interesting uh, that they had this deep tan and they're in the middle, of, you know, like middle of uh, the wilderness usually covered in a bunch of <laughs> uh, heavy clothing. So it doesn't make any sense when they have like this deep brown tan in their skin to be that way. But it's, it sounds like mummification to me. Yeah. That's probably uh -huh. the other Rob red says, I want to bring Egyptian, up. Egyptian radioactive Coke Yeti from Florida. Yep. Obviously. You guys are on. I, I like uh, uh, Josh is up here. Hear me out, guys. An alien Yeti from Chernobyl time traveled back to get these guys. We need to have Maddie on to give us that one. We I feel like that's to. like in his uh, wheelhouse there. We'll get him to build a new... Uh, murder board of like <laughs> Chernobyl time traveling. Yeti. Yes. Yes. Um, a difficult point is the missing shredded clothing. Like you have to assume that they took clothing off each other, but you have to make some assumptions as to like the order in which they died. Um, as far as, as far as that goes, um, the division of the hikers is is difficult to explain. It, that's the point I think I get stuck on the most is the way that this team of pe of highly trained people is just scattered. Yeah, that is the part that gets to me. So like some of the things they say is that they had a cache of clothes down in the tree line supposedly and they were looking for that might, might have been why they went that direction. It's weird mm. to me if that's the case and they didn't find it. Like they seemed extremely disoriented. So whatever happened to them seem to have scared the crap out of them and disoriented them pretty severely. Yeah. So um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of little pieces of evidence of this case too. And we'll get into a few of them soon that I don't know if I can trust them. So I like, that's another one where I'm not sure. Right. I've seen some people say it, but I'm not sure there's evidence. Like I didn't see any photos of them. Like, Hey, here's this cash they left behind in the tree line. Right. It just seems to kind of be brought up sometimes. Uh, there's some, journal entries that have also been brought up that are not even real. So we'll talk about that in a bit. Yeah. Um, one thing that is real is that there were some, some small knife cuts, uh, presumably knife cuts in the back of the tent. Um, this goes to the <coughs> Yeti theory of like, what if it's a Yeti claw mark or something like that? But there are some small 
it, it could just be that the tent is old and it's it'll be it's Soviet Russia. Like I don't know. Well, you got some little. They they did have a seamstress look at the tent afterwards because they thought it was just ripped up from you know whatever had happened. But mm-hmm. it does appear that the the one long uh, cut in the side. Uh, mm-hmm. she was able to prove came from a knife from inside the tent. From inside. Yes. But there were also little tiny cuts in the sure. back. So sure. big cut in the side, little tiny cuts in the back. Those are just kind of mysterious and usually get left out of all yep. of the theories because no one wants to think about that one. No one wants to think about <laughs> Yeti slashing on one side and then them cutting their way out on the other side. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um. The speaking of Yeti, uh, Yeti photo and journal entry of uh proclaiming their belief in yeti right before they died what yeah yeah so here is you guys are gonna be shocked because you guys have probably (laughs) seen uh the the footage of bigfoot walking in northern california but you've never seen evidence this good this is the photo they took on their trip of yeti so (laughs) i'm sorry for people who are listening to this do you want to explain what this photo looks like this is brought up in a lot of blogs and stuff so basically Liuta was the photographer and she wrote in her journal, we will never doubt the existence of Yeti ever again. Um, and it's a joke. This is just one of the hikers in his suit. <laughs> and she took this picture and she thought it was hilarious. Yeah. Also, by the way, this is the photo like right after that <laughs> photo. <laughs> Very obviously of just one of the guys in his suits. So like it gets brought up and people put a lot of attention on him. Like all you have to do is just look through any of the other photos in the real. Like I think people that push that one like they know that they're <laughs> full of crap, but it yeah. sells. So yeah, that's uh, it's interesting. There's also like one of the things I was reading said that the journal entry about her talking about I've, I've read this in so many different ways. And I don't know what to believe. This goes back to what I was saying. Some of the articles say the journal entry never existed at all. Some of them say that it was very much a joke and it was obvious. And then other ones say that it was part of a, of, of a satire um, article they wrote for the newspaper or something huh. like that. So it's, it's like really, it's another one of those things where I'm like, I don't know which one of these things is true, but at very least the picture is just her friend, right? Just another one of the hikers. So yeah, right. Not to say, not to say that cocaine Yeti didn't attack them. I'm just saying the picture's not real. Yeah, I mean, basically they made fun of him. He got mad. He had his revenge. I that sounds like the most plausible thing to me right now. So, okay, <laughs> keep going. Um, a couple more interesting facts. the The snow was very thin around there. The slope was not a, a heavy slope that the the tent was on. Normally, if you're in an area where you have to fear for avalanches, you're not on a very heavy slope or you're, you are on a heavy slope. You, the incline is, is big and, and their tent was not on a big incline. And then the other thing is that there wasn't a lot of wind. So a collection of this is probably not an avalanche situation evidences. And then my favorite one, obviously, in 2018, the World War II vet was exhumed and DNA tested twice. A private company was like, oh, he is not who he said he was. His DNA does not match the person who's supposed to be his niece. And then the Russian lab was like, okay, we're testing this. And they were like, no, he's absolutely who he said he was. Yeah, so (laughs) (laughs) this is weird because I've seen a lot of theories. Like, obviously, some of these people had links to the KGB, not surprisingly. This guy seems like the most obvious candidate, joins the last minute. From a lot of the reports, he's the one with the radiated clothing. 
I've seen some theories go as far as to say like it was the clothing was radiated as part of a CIA KGB handoff to try to track uh, another agent. <laughs> it's it's pretty ridiculous stuff. But like the fact that some of these people were were possibly or most likely or definitely KGB agents. I think it's interesting, but I also think it's a red herring to some degree. I'm not sure yeah, like, it has a lot to do. Yeah, it's like this is Russia. Like these are like top performing young people in Russia in 1959. If they were achieving, they were going to be in government in some way like that. They had right. to feed their families. That's the only way you got food uh, is to be like in the government, right? To like ensure that you had uh, uh, food and work. So like the fact that some of these young, bright, uh, healthy, motivated individuals uh, might be in the KGB. Like I'm like, of course. Yeah, that's like an, an obvious one. Yeah, I don't find a lot of interest. Like I'm like, I, the, I just I think it's interesting. I do want to get into some of the military testing stuff, which I think is interesting, but I don't think that the whole they might have been part of the KGB and that explains why they died in a bunch of mysterious ways. Like, I don't think that connection makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. So let's let's hold off till we get there. Sure. But the other person, the other two who are maybe most likely to be KGB of any of them uh, were Alexander Kolyatov. He he got a very convenient, great job right out of college and was making more income than he should have been for his profession. So, and he was the closest to the World War II veteran. Um, he that was the friendship link that brought the World War II veteran allegedly into the group. Who was definitely so, a KGB agent who did, wasn't even his own body <laughs> or wasn't even who he claimed to be. Yeah. Yeah. And then the other one people think might have been KGB was the guy who survived, Yuri. Yuri Yudin. But a lot of people are just are just suspicious of him because he survived. I think that is the entire suspicion, but again, like I feel like if any one of these were linked to the KGB, it wouldn't be surprising there's also um the girl that people have tried to link to the kgb as well uh because of her like very very pro communist stance the fact that she was taking so many photos people have like insinuated that maybe she was uh scouting out something for the kgb and that's why she was uh so interested in photography again it's a lot yeah. of speculation yeah she was a big commie very big commie. she was a big commie though that's that that's not speculation the interesting thing about this, if you say some of these people are KGB agents at the same time, one of them's a musician who brings a mandolin most of the way and like singing random songs was not permitted. So like not, they're not really like as a group, they're breaking a, a, a pretty strict rule. Um, he does leave the mandolin behind in, I think the town where you were, you where Yuri left the trip. Yeah. yeah. Um, to, to lighten his pack, but yeah. Okay, so let's get into some of the theories. So we've we've kind of come through the difficult facts. One of the immediate theories that emerged was that the indigenous people group had attacked them, that the it was a Monsai attack on the mountain. And this was dismissed pretty quickly because the nearest Monsai settlement was 60 miles away and they had no violent history of attacking anybody, not on that mountain, not, not anywhere else. And they actually assisted with the uh, recovery efforts. They were very helpful to the Russian government, which, I mean, I guess you could argue if they perpetrated it, of course, they'd want to be very helpful, but <laughs> right. there really isn't any evidence that, that it was attacked by them. Not physical, um, but what if, what if one of their forest deities had killed, had killed these people? Cause that's the other link too, is like, they've got this thing called the mank, right? Or did you want to, yeah, I was going to save that for Sorry. last though. <laughs> we'll save it. 
So I'm just PJ yeah. trying to get ahead of me all the time. All you guys are trying to get ahead of me, and I'm trying to slow ball this. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> no, I know because they're the, the best are at the end. Another theory is that criminals from a nearby detention facility nearby. It wasn't really that nearby, but again, there's like really no evidence that they were attacked by criminals, armed men, anything like that. There's just the lack of external. Unless one of those people drove a car through there and like ran over people. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Um, One of the really popular ones is that it was some sort of KGB op gone wrong. Some sort of military testing that they stumbled across that they weren't supposed to see. Yeah. So that's the thing that Katie asked us earlier. She said, did these people, were they off track? Mm -hmm. And that's what I want to talk about. They were off track. They had lost the path that they, they had lost the Monside path that they were trying to take. Um, But it's not like, not like wildly off track. Right. Like they were a little bit lost, but they were getting back on track. I don't think that they were so far off that they uh, probably ran into anything, but who knows? Yeah. We're going to get into a little bit of stuff in a minute, but it doesn't seem quite right that they would have just stumbled on something randomly in the middle of the Ural mountains. (laughs) It is pretty desolate. Yeah. And cold. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like any of the testing, see, this is the thing like, and I know we're going to get into testing in a minute, but I just want to bring this up. Any of the testing theories don't really go with, they had a secret facility there because they, they didn't, they were searching all over the area. The Monsi people live there. It's it. People hike this all the time. They get a little bit off track all the time. Um, but any of the testing theories don't really say that there's like a secret facility, which is why that theory doesn't make sense to me. It's that there was planes and bombs and things they were testing in the air, uh, mm-hmm. that are more credible. So I feel like that part of the military testing we'll get into. And I think is more pl- plausible than them stumbling upon a secret KGB facility, like a uh, hundred meters off right. the beaten path of a very popular yeah. hiking trail. Yeah. Uh, another one is, Aliens. It was aliens. <laughs> Actually, around that, you know, that night, there were weird lights spotted in the sky from several different people who described them similarly. So there was multiple accounts of kind of strange oblong lights. Um, both groups of people said that they were worried that uh, a meteorite was about to hit the Earth, like it was like coming at at the Earth, um, and that it was it frightened them. And someone even described um, seeing the lights going out of his tent without his shoes on to go look at the lights, which was an interesting similarity. He describes it pretty detailed in his journal. We don't have to read the whole thing, but he talks about like how bright it was, how it was growing, how it had this long tail. And he he kind of describes this this, uh, meteorite uh, in in depth in his book. And then Mm -hmm. to talk about the alien thing, too, there's a lot of people who say there's pictures of strange lights in the sky. Did you find any of that stuff or what's your thoughts on it on the camera roll? Yeah. The very last one in the roll had lights on it and it's, <clears throat> it's consistent with basically the idea is they got it to the lab. The shutter was half closed. They had to push it down all the way. This happens all the time with developing cameras at the last one on the roll is, is a, is a bad photo because it, you know, the person who's <clears throat> developing it just has to click it all the way down and you take 
random shot of lights in, in the lab and then they develop the photos and it comes out and it's oh look it's weird lights <laughs> this is another one to me this is like the yeti right where it's like i could believe that there was some type of yeti thing and i could believe the the people around who saw the up to 30 miles away everybody said on that night they were seeing strange lights in the sky these ball lights that were moving around weird ufo sighting type stuff that's not the unconvincing part to me it's the photographic evidence it's unconvincing in both cases the yeti one's obviously mm-hmm. her friend and then i looked through the photos and there's like a couple of them that have lens like very obvious lens flares and most of them aren't okay. even pointing at the sky they're like pointing at like normal things there's a lens flare and people are saying look it's a lens flare. you know it's definitely aliens that they just didn't notice while they were taking pictures broad daylight you know right over their friend's shoulder so like again yeah. the photographic evidence here is it doesn't mean much to me at all so yeah so the theory is that the aliens confused them so like the mind confusion of an alien encounter confused them so much that they went running off in different directions um which kind of bleeds right into the mania theory that that there was some sort of something made them go mad whether it was drinking some bad alcohol or accidentally drinking the fuel for their stove some people which, say mushrooms but there's no yeah, like some evidence people say of mushrooms it, yeah. None of it really makes sense and none of it is consistent with their character, but it does kind of hit on the part of it where they are not acting rationally. Like trained people do not run out of their tent into the snow. And that's what we need to figure out is like, why did they run out into the snow? There's a book by Donnie Eichner called dead mountain. And he goes through all the evidence and he goes through all of the possible things that could have happened. And he's like, I'm out. What is what am what am I supposed to do when I have eliminated everything impossible and there's nothing left? Because he eliminated Yeti in, in Aliens because he is a, not fun. Um, <laughs> but he ended up getting with some scientists and coming up with this theory of a combination of infrasound and um, really heavy, like. Uh, little tornadoes coming off the mountain. So if you're not familiar with infrasound, it's the opposite of ultrasound. So ultrasound is too high of a frequency to hear and infrasound is too low of a frequency to hear, but you still kind of know it's there because it's like tickling your ears, but your brain can't register it as sound. So it creates, it's been known to create incredible distress in people, um, psychological distress, even up to suicide. It has caused suicide and a lot of places around the world do have some sort of infrasound type weaponry. The Israeli military uses uh, infrasound for crowd control. Um, the Nazis used lower levels to stir up anger in crowds during speeches, which is fascinating to me. And a uh, good chance the Soviets had some sort of infrasound technology as well. And probably that's what the whatever weapon causes Havana syndrome is an infrasound technology. We're going to probably do a whole episode. Yeah, we'll have to do a whole episode on that for sure. The infrasound thing's interesting. So you're saying that the summer of love in 2020 would have been actually a summer of love if it wasn't for just infrasound and all these. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, totally. totally. (laughs) So there's two, you have, you have infrasound weapons and you have infrasound occurring naturally. You have some, you can have infrasound occurring naturally if wind is bending around certain formations, creating it. It was a stretch. I think Donnie Eichner, the author of the book, really needed this explanation to work 
So he stretched it to make it work. But what he said was like, look, the formations around here are such that they could have created two different things happening at the same time. You could, you could have um, these vortexes that were really loud and screaming um, coupled with infrasound that just a cumulative of that could have driven these people mad. I find that <clears throat> difficult because the camp is so ordered, the tent is so ordered. Like you would think if they were slowly being driven mad, they would have like trashed their tent and then clawed their way out of the tent. And it would have been like a cumulative thing, but instead it seems to have been a very sudden, Oh, we need to cut our way out of our tent now. I feel like also if you're feeling uneasy, you're probably like, okay, I have something's wrong. I need to put on my boots at least first. Like right. the fact that they went like from zero to a hundred, that yeah. does not, that does not go with infrasound at all. The other, the only other evidence that they kind of supports the infrasound is like, they say that it's proven that there's this thing called catabatic, catabatic winds or catabatic winds that were happening that night, which essentially wind coming over the mountain and pushing downwards, uh, and creating possibly some type of infrasound. But I don't think the the overall feeling of unease or depression is enough to make these people, uh, uh again, go from yeah. zero to 100. Like that's the part that it doesn't, it's like an instant like snap. That's not how infrasound works. The only thing that made me think this could have worked is that you have a couple people on this trip who already have some pretty severe trauma that could have been tapped into by something like that. So you have a World War II veteran who saw combat in World War II. You have a girl who had been shot on a prior uh, hiking trip. And so maybe the infrasound created so much unease that it triggered um, some, like some sort of PTSD episode in both of them, which kind of at like a psychological pathogen that like overflew true to the group. I still don't find that uh, like, yeah, and I still don't buy it though. Like nine yeah. people all following along when you've got, you know, people who have been trained, people are probably yeah. going to even, even at their worst times be thinking a little more clearly. This, this definitely seems like an absolute sudden terror that had yeah. driven them from, from their, uh, you know, and this is, this is totally not a theory, but have you ever seen, and I know your answer is no before I ask, have you ever seen the movie, the thing? No, I feel like I want to bring this up because, this every time we talk about or I hear about the Dyatlov Pass, I think in the movie The Thing, where it's like this group of of scientists, researchers out in like uh, uh, the Antarctic, like get dis they discover these Russian people who have all like died in mysterious ways, and like what the hell is this? And then they kind of like go away, and they realize they take an alien back with them, and the same thing happens to their group. And it's like whenever I think of this, I think like stumbling upon like everybody's died in these crazy weird ways, and. Like there's no explanation, and then you find out that it's it's aliens. <laughs> so it's, yeah, I, it's I would actually lean more towards the <laughs> like no joke. Actually, like I'm not saying it is, but I would actually lean more towards the weird lights had something to do with them, uh, whether it's aliens or whatever. Uh, than the whole there was yeah. a spooky sound and it made them go from zero to one hundred and run down a hill barefoot. You know, I don't know. Yeah. Um. Currently, the going theory is that it was a not a regular avalanche like you would see in a movie with a lot of loose snow, but a slab avalanche where basically a whole slab of snow um, breaks loose and slides. So the idea was that maybe, I think we have an image 
This is one the of other. the, yeah, this is one of them, but it just kind of explains like, yeah, let me see if I can find the other one real quick. I've got it on my screen somewhere. Yeah. So something like this. Yeah. So in 2019, a group of people started doing some, some serious research on this theory to try to prove that it was possible that it could have happened this way. Um, they did succeed in proving that slab av- avalanches happened in the area. They even witnessed two while they were in the area. Um, and their argument is that when they pitched this tent, when the group pitched this tent, um, they would have cut a little bit into the snow and that would have weakened that slab. That It so wouldn't have been piled this high in, in this particular instance but that over the course of a couple hours the wind and any additional falling snow could have kind of made enough weight on top to make that slab go into the tent so you have a slab hitting the tent causing some initial injuries like everybody had some cuts and scrapes but a lot of them had some sort of head injury or bruise on the side things that you know weren't weren't explained by falling into the ravine that 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 sort of thing could have explained and then cut their way out of the tent like oh shoot our tent just got hit we have to get out of it real quick the slab hits and then goes down so it doesn't remain on top of the tent and then they're disoriented do you think this one's plausible i think it's more plausible than infrasound but i still have problems with this yeah, I think it's the best purely scientific. If if you're going to limit yourself to a scientific explanation, you pretty much one have to go with this one. Yeah, 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 or just a single one, which, yeah, I, for a single explanation, I think this is the one you have to go to if you're not willing to entertain the supernatural. Yeah, I feel like people have tried to explain this as like why it seems like they're hit by a car because basically, like a slab slides on the mountain, hits in the side of their tent. But those people right. died like a, a mile away, <laughs> like a, over a right. mile away. So I got that part doesn't doesn't do it for me. The other thing that doesn't do it for me is like they ran uh, again a mile away. Like they got hit by a slab. Right. But their tent is still there. Their clothes are still there. Like they might have been hurt and injured, but I, it doesn't explain the fear that keeps you running for a mile barefoot right. in negative 11 degree temperatures. One explanation is that they thought it was a, a whole ass avalanche that they didn't realize that it was smaller. And so they just were like, oh my God, avalanche and just ran. Yeah, I guess that. I, I don't know. <laughs> what I like about it is that it, it explains some of the injuries of the people who did not fall in the ravine because otherwise it's really difficult to explain those injuries. Right. The the skull fracture, um, the the bruising on on the the girl. Well, actually, Mister Zed in chat might be able to explain this. He says, "What is the possibility that the Yeti was not in fact on coke or bath salts, but was actually on the first production run of North Arrow Coffee that was five hundred percent caffeine infused?" I don't know if North Arrow Coffee's made that yet. I'm looking forward to it because I love myself some caffeine. And the other thing I love is North Arrow coffee. So if you guys have not, Christmas is coming up. Is what what a few days away? What is today? I have you no idea. You can't get 21st. North Arrow coffee in time for Christmas. I'm you sorry. Can't, don't. But nope. 
but you can have an IOU, which is as good as North Arrow coffee. <laughs> Give it to your loved one in their stocking. Say, hey, I ordered you North Arrow coffee. It'll be here next week. You can still do that, and you can use code PJ10 at NorthArrowCoffee.co to get 10% off an IOU of a Christmas gift. You can <laughs> also, and this is what I did for one of my co-hosts who will not be named, but it's not PJ, um, <laughs> uh, is get a gift card and print it out. And See, put it in there. that's even Card. better than an IOU. Yeah. Yeah. So, but use code Abby 10 when you do that. Or no, use wait, code PJ 10 and give them an IOU, which is way cooler. You can't, you actually can't <laughs> use our codes for a gift card. I'm sorry. I think, I think the See, people who use your the pitch gift is card bad. Can, My pitch was better. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that was a terrible ad read. I'm so glad it's over. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I wanted to find the most awkward place to insert that ad read, and I was just waiting for it. And then Mr. Zed just gave me the in, and I was like, I'm going for it. So <laughs> That's fantastic. So I think something that you could combine with the avalanche, slab avalanche theory is this idea of, ah, I've lost it in my notes, but what was the type of bomb that was being tested? Oh, yeah. So I've got that somewhere. There's... um. Parachute bombs, I believe, yes. right? Parachute mine bombs. Yes. So explain those a little bit. So I don't know much about them, but they were absolutely being tested during that time. That they very, like most likely were the explanation for the lights that were seen in the sky. And one of the things that was said about them was that they did cause injuries that were internal, that, like shockwave injuries. Yeah, that could injure you internally without <clears throat> injuring you on the outside. So I think maybe um, the campsite got hit with one of these accidentally. That I, Sorry, go ahead. That this is the reason maybe that the Russian government covered this up because it was an accident and it made them look like it wasn't intentional. It wasn't this like big old plan to kill these kids, but that they accidentally hit them and uh, felt bad about it. I actually find this kind of the most plausible for, for a few reasons. They didn't find any evidence of, you know, the bombs or nuclear testing or all these things that they thought they might find. But what these what these parachute mines did is they would actually blow up in the air um, and it would create lights. It would create crazy sounds and, and f things that would totally freak a person out. And the concussion, which could cause, you know, all kinds of internal injuries could whatever. So like the fact that. All of that is possible, right? But then it gets even even further where it was proven that not only were they testing parachute bombs at this time, they were testing them around this area. And in 2019, when the Russian government reopened the investigation, it came out that there was military planes that flew over this site that very night. Yeah. So this one seems like the most plausible to me. And it also explains the Russian government being a little weird about it. Right. I think it's possible that, that this also either the bomb itself hurt them or the bomb triggered a slab, a slab avalanche and like between the explosion sound and the avalanche hitting their tent, they were like, holy crap. Yeah, no, actually, I think, uh, I think that's true. Also with the slab avalanche theory, like the other thing that makes it kind of plausible and why I think again, like there's just reasons why I don't think it's just that. I feel like a lot of times if you stick to one theory, this thing doesn't make sense. Maybe it's a, a multitude of things, but uh, is that they believe now that the tent was actually further downhill 
than where they had originally set it up from for some reason. I'm not sure how pl- credible that is, but that's what some of the belief is. They kind of said that, you know, there's reasons why they think it was further up and that maybe a slab avalanche had hit it and, and rolled it down. So I would most likely buy the fat buy into parachute mines, scaring them avalanche mm-hmm. our slab avalanche, all of that being enough to make them run away. Whereas a slab avalanche by itself, I'm not sure right. that I'm buying. Right. My other issue with avalanche is that and, and the people who did, who did the theory on slab avalanche did say that, that the evidence of it could be completely removed within a, just a couple of days, just because of the nature of it, it could be completely the evidence gone. just wouldn't be there right but i think it's interesting that at the time of the investigation nobody said avalanche nobody said slab avalanche the most easy answer for us today would also have been the most easy answer for them back then and that they wouldn't take the out when why say you don't know when you could just pick an easy answer the slab avalanche theory was first proposed exactly 60 years later in 2019. Right. Yeah. Whereas the parachute mine thing has been kind of a theory for a long time. And then in 2019, they found out, oh yeah, there was planes flying over that military planes, provably flying over that exact area that night. And they were just enough off course that maybe they got too close to that testing. Oh, there is a piece of evidence that we haven't, I forgot to put it in my notes and I just remembered it, that does cut against the avalanche theory as well, is that there was a flashlight right on the top of the snow that was in the on position. So it it dropped as they left. So it hadn't been covered with snow, but it was right at the mouth of the tent. So I have a hard time even with the theory that the tent moved at all. Right. There was also gear outside the tent and everything was very well ordered. Like I keep coming back to that too, is that everything was in very good order. And if you have an avalanche you're, moving, you're your right. Tent they did say stuff, that they didn't say that everything was in chaos in the tent. They said everything was laid right. out that their food was laid out. So actually just that alone cuts really hard against the slab avalanche. I'm still leaning yeah. towards the whole parachute mine thing. Yeah. Yeah. But, but, once I tell you the final theory, you're just going to go with my final theory, and that's that's going to be it because I'm going to tell you what it really is. All right, what do we what do we got? Okay, so I've already told you about the small cuts in the back of the tent, which are obviously Yeti claw marks. Obviously, it couldn't have been anything else. Not even willing to consider another explanation. The Monsai people that we've talked about a little bit, this indigenous tribe, and. It's not racist for me to say this, and I'm, I'm going to say this because I want to. Every We're single time already. you have, a, <laughs> this, this is already so racist. Every single time, it's just true though. You're right. Every single time you have a hot spot of weird activity. Every single time you have weird supernatural stuff going on, there is always an indigenous tribe right next door with folklore that kind of explains it. Yeah, and exactly. Everybody goes out of their way. Like this is one thing I pointed out to you. I'm like. This really annoys me that every article on Dyatlov Pass goes out of its way to be like, well, we can't say we can't say it was those people who are different than us. We don't we we really don't want to come off as like intolerant or racist at all in any way. So we can't say that maybe these demon worshiping pagans that are kind of hanging out in the woods next to them might have had anything to do with it. And everybody goes like so far to do that. And it's like. But they also do have like a whole Yeti folklore that they give sacrifices to like three times yeah. a year. Yeah. So they call their Yeti the Manx. <clears throat> and the fun thing about the North American Bigfoot 
stories seem to have Bigfoot being a fairly peace-loving person. He, he, he doesn't really bother people. He doesn't go killing people unless they hurt him or whatever. Like, you don't have stories of Bigfoot mutilating things, right? Not pretty much. No, not Bigfoot. Usually it's usually it's something like a skinwalker. Right. But they're, they're like they're the folklore is that Bigfoot is a good guy. Right. Mink, not so much. He he's known. He's <clears throat> not as he, he's a little bit more malevolent. And the other weird thing, he's like a tree spirit. He's a forest spirit anatomically matches Bigfoot, but more. So the Monsi people are their, their religion is shamanism, right? Uh, <laughs> and this is a forest spirit. So it's a very demonic type being that they talk about. And one of the things that they believe is that you can be a human who's aligned with the mank. So basically you could completely look like a human, but you could be walking around with a mank spirit. So, so when I brought up the thing earlier, which was, a, which is an alien that makes itself look like people and then creates these crazy crime scenes where nobody like you, you walk upon it like, none of this makes sense. It's all conflicting. There's radiation and there's people's tongues missing. And like, there's, there's a dead dog for some reason, like and a tent ripped apart from the inside and all this stuff. You're saying that this actually could be the thing. Like this could actually be like a, 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 a being that disguised itself as humans in order to kill humans in like a super strange way. Uh, or am I just quick, getting really unhinged here? A really generous super chat over on rumble from Keith DB saying just dropping by to wish you a very Merry Christmas at work. Catch the show later. Thank you so much. Wow. Keith. That's very generous. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, Keith. Thank you so much. I hope you and your family have a great Christmas. Thank you so much for the super chat or the rumble rant. I think they call it. Oh, yeah. um, I think, I think we have the case closed though. Don't we? I think it's almost time to go over to rumble yeah. and start our next case because it's, this is definitely the thing, but yeah. with a forest spirit, it was definitely the mank and, and the, the KGB guy who was not the KGB the whole time. He was a mink spirit right in the middle of them. He was a, he was a mink infested person. You have to watch the thing. I know you hate horror movies, but you have to watch it now. Okay. Like this is, right. this is that. I yeah, I love it. I'll get so. my husband to watch it with me. So I don't <laughs> die of scared him. All right. Is there anything else we want to say before we head over to rumble? I'm going to drop the rumble link in the chat for you guys watching live. I also want to let you guys know, um, uh, really quickly. Um, one thing that you could really do, if I, if I could ask you guys for one thing for Christmas, it would be this. We have a Locals channel. It's kind of like Patreon, except we don't use Patreon for the same reason we do our extra stuff on Rumble because of censorship. Patreon's notorious for just like dropping people and making them lose all their fans and support. Um, so we use Locals. And one of the things you can do is we are 12 followers away on Rumble right now from being able to be upgraded. That means that we can upload more Rumble stuff um, every month. Right now, we uploaded the Kanye Quest 3030 episode, and we didn't have enough space to upload it. I actually had to downgrade the video, so if it's a little bit less high quality, that's why it's the only way we could fit. Uh, we have five gigs of upload right now that we can do over on Locals. So if you guys want to help us, you don't even have to give us your five bucks a month. You can use code WELCOME to get a first month for free. Um, you could even just follow as a non uh, supporter in that way, but just a follower, and that also counts towards our 50, and there you can hear the full episode with that we do on rumble you can hear the audio version of that but if you guys want to help us and support us with five bucks a month you get our bonus locals content we've done 
turning the frogs gay. We've done birds aren't real. We've done the Simpsons predicting the future. We've done Kanye quest. We've got some great stuff over there that you don't get anywhere else. So that would be my one thing I would ask you is if to go to rumble, follow us there and click the little red join button. That's for locals. And if you do that uh, and we get 50 subscribers or 50 followers over there, then we can actually upload more stuff. We don't have to run out halfway through December and wait till January before we can upload more locals episodes. So that's my pitch for you guys. If you want to do something nice for us for Christmas, Keith DB has already done something super nice for us. Thank you so much. But you know, you guys just being here and watching yeah. that's, that's all we really care about. But I just, you know, if you want to do something a little extra, we appreciate it. You're all special to us, except Keith is more special. Keith is more special. <laughs> <laughs> I had one of the, gonna, go ahead. Over on rumble. We're going to talk about another evil Yeti story uh, from Alaska. So Stay tuned or come over there and yeah. tune in. There. Come over to Rumble. The one last thing, because I always do this. Whenever somebody gives us a five-star review, that's the other nice thing you can do for us. I like to read it on the show. So we have I Edgar over on iTunes giving us a five-star review that says, do one for Vegas shooting. These guys do a great podcast. Hope they have the Las Vegas Mandalay Bay shooting on their list. Can't wait for the research on that. We have a long list and we have that on our list. So we will be getting yeah. to that at some point. I'm a, That is one that has always fascinated me. So uh, I, Edgar, we hear you. We appreciate the five-star review. Uh, that is an episode you guys will see in the future. See you guys over on Rumble. <laughs>